Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Aframeo Driver Podcast, brought to you by the Aframeo Owners Club. I'm Guy Swarbrick, and this afternoon I have with me Lawrence Preston from Auto Lusso in Bournemouth. Good afternoon, Lawrence. Hiya, how are you doing all right? Yeah, very good. So we normally start these things by kind of delving back into into the dim and dark past. How did you get involved with Alphas in the first place? It's a long story that I never set out to, you know, fix cars or Alphas. Engineer, I was always engineer, inter- interested in engineering, loved cars, did engineering, mechanical, electrical engineering. And funnily enough, I worked on the railway for a few years, signaling and telecommunications. It was a good job, but I got sick of working nights because I was started at 19 and I quit at 22 just because I'd had enough to do at nights because all my mates were going out and I was going to work all weekend and there wasn't really a choice you had to work weekends because that's when they fixed the railways so I um I just quit that job at 22 years old because you can do that when you're 22 just quit a job and not have to worry about the outcome and uh I did just you know a few fill-in jobs and um my brother was good friends with Ned who used to, at the time was importing cars uh Alfa Romeo's so I took a job with him sort of it was a stopgap job it was never supposed to be a career and I took a job with him just moving cars around it, it was probably the best job in the world because I, I just washed cars it was great I washed and polished brand new Alphas so it was lovely it was no stress it was a great job just wash and polish brand new cars hand them over to customers collect them from here collect them from there drive them around you know it was great so I, I did that for I ended up working for Ned for seven eight years in the end and the things went yeah, things went went really wrong because Alfa Romeo cut the supply, but I won't go into that. But that all went really pear-shaped, the importing of cars. And at that point, he had started servicing Alfa Romeos just before that had sort of gone wrong. And I was kind of out of a job. And I was like, I'm out of a job here. I could see it. I was like, what are we going to do? So I, I set up an eBay shop. And we had loads of our 156s laying around that had been traded in. And uh, some of them were broken, some of them were fine. And I just started selling the parts of them and breaking them on eBay. And we had so many bits lying around the workshop. So I just started selling anything I could. I'd set, I was listing on eBay to keep myself busy and keep myself in the job. And it went from there. I set up the eBay shop for him. Now they do a lot of used parts. So I worked for him for, you know, that was, you know, that's seven years in a nutshell, really. So I did that for, yeah, seven years and then left and set up my own my own business which is what i run now which is separate there's three auto lusos they're all separately owned we just kind of work together on stuff and uh yeah so i i left ned so i was gonna go out on my own he came to me just as i set up and said do you want to share names to which i said yes because i thought it was going to get me a good start when i opened the doors i've already sort of got a reputation and it went from there really so i was always mad on cars my dad always had cars my dad had some he had some Alphas, had some Porsches. My uncle used to work for John Hosmer, who was a Lancia dealer at the time. So as a kid, I was in the back of 911s, old Alphas. And I remember going round, round roundabouts and integrales in the back seat with my uncle driving and squealing around the corner when, you know, it was a bit more socially acceptable to do that. You know, <laughs> these days, uh, not so much. But uh, but yeah, that, that's in a nutshell, that's how I kind of ended up doing what I, I do. And uh, I just, I'm just i just car mad, really. And that's what kind of drives me to, you know, do what I do and deliver the standard of what I do. Because, yeah, I just love cars and I love the customers. The customers are great. They're passionate. They're into the product. 
and they don't come to you because they have to they come to you because they want to which is a big difference when it comes to getting your car fixed or service because a lot of people fixing or servicing your cars are not something you want to do it's like buying a washing machine isn't it for a lot of people if you're not into cars it's just something they have to pay for yeah but with helpers um i love the fact that they're coming to you because they want to and they've got a long list of stuff they want and you know so it's that's nice and that's what i really enjoy the the, the customers and yeah the customers and the cars really are the main two things which which have sort of spurred me on through the years to keep doing it um, and why bournemouth bournemouth that's another sort of story my my wife her parents she's not from bournemouth i grew up in tring she was from watford and uh, her parents lived down in um just in the new forest so we used to come down and see them and we just used to look around here and just liked it we were like that's a nice place to live and then I checked at that point I wasn't thinking of setting up an alpha specialist I was going to leave Ned's uh, leave Waterloo and get a job in a motor trade somewhere and I actually got a job at BMW service advisor and I took that job got, did the interview took the job and then just before I was about to start I thought you know my wife said to me and it had always been a conversation we'd had why don't you set up an alpha specialist and do your own thing you'd always wanted to do it and I made that decision phoned up BMW said I'm not taking the job and the guy was really moody with me so I'm glad I didn't because he started sort of <laughs> telling me I was making a mistake and all this stuff and I was like wow I haven't even started working for you yet and you're giving me a hard time um so yeah and it just went from there so I I just I looked around and I did a little bit of market research. There wasn't a lot of competition down here. You had Red Notori, which I'm sure a lot of people know about. And there's a very small place in Poole. And, and that's it. You know, there's the next one's probably Bristol Way. Other than that, it's further up the M M3 towards London. Uh, I think there was one in Cornwall, but he's gone. So my catchment is kind of 180 degrees from, you know, you draw a semicircle from Bournemouth. That's my whole catchment. And people come further. And I get a lot of guys from London because they don't mind the drive down the M3 it's not too bad beer an hour and a half so there's a little more I wasn't moving to Bournemouth to set up a specialist I moved to Bournemouth because I wanted to but it was quite lucky it was a good area to actually do it and how long ago was that uh, 10 years ago oh, sorry. yeah yeah just gone the 10th anniversary was um it was June just gone so in, in the year that everybody forgets how, yeah. how long ago was that two years oh no it's three yeah. years yeah. the covid factor yeah, the COVID factors. So yeah, it's the 10-year anniversary of my business you know, on June the 1st. So so 10 yeah. years this year, is it? Yeah, it's 10 years this year. Yeah, it's June. So yeah, it's literally just gone. Because of COVID, I don't even know what month it is anymore. <laughs> the whole year is gone as a blur, isn't it, for everyone? Yeah. You know? yeah I don't think anybody's in the mood to have a party yet. But no, uh, hopefully, no, I'll hopefully do, soon. I'll, I'll do it next year. <laughs> well, I think um, Silverstone Classic are going to do... Um, do a big thing for Alpha's 111th anniversary because they missed the 110th last year. Oh, okay, yeah, of course. So we've got track parade and stuff. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's all. Correct. It's all a bit weird, isn't it? You didn't plan to to set up in business on your own. How 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 did it go in the early years? Because it's can be pretty tough. Yeah, well, I was I had sort of planned it and I'd saved up some money to do it, and I decided against it, and then did so. There was some planning, so it wasn't totally off the cuff. It started really well. I was I was lucky. I was busy from the word off. Um, literally, the day I opened my door, the phone was ringing, and I was book, getting bookings. You know, which is is pretty unheard of. But the first few years were quite tough. I was busy enough, but it was running a business is not something I'd done before. So it was hard and finding good staff. 
still is always one of the hardest things. I've got good guys now who've been with me for a long time, and that's important because their knowledge grows. You know, I'm learning every day. Every day there's something, you know, every day, every week, there's something you don't know. Early days, yeah, they, they were tough, but they they weren't as tough as I'd kind of thought they were going to be. You know, I'd done spreadsheets and everything because I was I was anxious about it. I was like, I've never saved up this much money before and I'm putting it all into this. What if it all goes wrong? You know, like everybody does when they set up a business and you think, you know, oh, it's going to fail and all that kind of worry that goes with it. And uh, it took me a long time quite a few years actually to get past that point of thinking it's just going to go wrong it's crazy but it's quite a lot of, and I speak to a lot of small business owners and it's all the same they they all say the same thing you know you, you always worry about it going wrong and what you're going to do and you know but it, it doesn't drop off a cliff like that you know things take quite a long time to go wrong in a business and yeah you have you do have that control now I'm you know 10 years in well established it's it's much, you know, that, that worry has kind of gone, I'm almost too busy and can't deal with all the work I'm getting now, which is, is a really nice problem to have and not something I'm complaining about. But it is hard to manage nonetheless. So, you know, uh, being too busy is a problem, but it's a good problem. So, you know. How have the last 12, 18 months been? I know a lot of the main dealers have struggled, but a lot of the specialists that I speak to have, have been busier than ever because people who were on furlough or whatever have decided that, they take that opportunity to fettle the car and buy parts and have work done. Yeah, much the same for me. I've been busier than ever. I mean, I'm probably the busiest I've ever been right now. Now everything's opening up again. Through COVID, I that big first scare that we, you know, when they shut everything down and it was so unknown. I did furlough all my guys bar one, and uh, it was just me and one guy. It was lovely actually. It was like the old days. It was. Uh, it was quite quiet and we just got in with the jobs. We had loads of work already there and we got on with that. And I found a lot of people were on furlough. So they were getting a wage, not all of their wage, but a wage. And all their holidays have been cancelled and, you know, other things they were going to be doing, they weren't doing. So they're like, I'm not going on holiday this year. So I've got X amount of money. I'll spend it on my car instead. And that was the general consensus of speaking to people. I had some really good customers who just came to me and book it, booked in to spend money to help me get through. You know, some of my long-term guys, literally they phoned up, so I'm going to drop a car off, you can do some bits to it, you know, help you get through it, which is, that's, for me, that's what it's kind of, that's what the alpha community is a bit like, isn't it? You know, everyone wants to kind of help each other out. Yeah. And uh, and that's what I found, you know, people coming in, doing stuff in their cars just just to, uh, you know, keep, keep me busy. But uh, yeah, we had so much work at the time and I think I brought everybody back June last year and everyone came back June last year and it's been flat out ever since. And what sort of size and shape is the business now? How many people, what's the premises like? I've got six guys, uh, workshops, 6,000 square foot. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six ramps, four-wheel alignment machine, you know, the proper geo machine, you know, shot blaster, engine room, always buying things always buying more equipment to kind of do what you know do the jobs we do i we do a lot of gta engine rebuilds 3.2 v6s loads of those so yeah just always kind of moving forward and buying the equipment you need to kind of deliver the best job you can and finding good people to do you know your cylinder and engine work and the sort of machining work that we don't do in-house i don't think any specialist does so you know i would one thing i'd always always wanted to do is, is a get a paint shop put a paint shop because there is one unit next to mine i might be able to get one day i would quite like to have a paint shop as well because then we could really see projects through from start to finish 
rather than relying on someone else to do the paint paint work. Maybe one day, but I'm a bit too busy running what I've got. So the thought of setting up another another business, uh, yeah. I don't think I've got the time. But uh, but no, the premises has kind of evolved. It started off as half that size, and then I had the opportunity for the unit next door, so we knocked the wall through and you know filled up that immediately. So yeah, and it's good. I, you know, would I move and go bigger? I don't think I want to. I'm happy with the size. I don't really want more staff to manage and more more guys. I think a smaller team is is better because you can keep an eye on can you can keep an eye on quality. You know, you can keep an eye on the work going on. If you end up with 10, 12 guys, it, you start to lose that control of what's actually going on in the workshop, and you start to lose that face to face with customers because. People phone up and they want to speak to me and they want to deal with me because they have been for the last 10 years. And, and that's important. And if you get too big, you, you can't do any of that stuff. You're there just stuck behind a computer, you know, managing a business and you're not speaking to people anymore and you're not looking at the cars anymore. And I don't want to, I, I don't want to sort of step away from that because it is the part I, I enjoy, the, the people in the cars. So for me not to be doing that and just stuck running a business and having someone else doing all of that, yeah, it's not for me. So no. I'll keep it the size I am for now. And for, you know, my sort of business, I need to know my guys and, you know, I know them well because some of them have been with me eight years plus. And, you know, taking technicians on, they're so hard. You know, they can look good on paper. They can come across well in interviews. And you don't find out. The worst thing is you never find out if someone's any good. Really, you know, if their quality of work is good enough, it takes a few months to find that out because they try hard for it when they start and then they just kind of, they can get a bit slack. So I, I've had, you know, like any business, you have to kind of get through a few people to find the best ones. And uh, all businesses are the same, aren't they? You know, you, you employ people and they're not, sometimes don't quite deliver as you would hope. So then you move on and, and get someone else. So yeah, that's, that has always been the trickiest thing is finding good people. And well, I when guess you with got- the size of the, the Alpha Dealer Network, there's not a big pool of qualified Alpha technicians to recruit from. No, I, I tend to find the alpha, I, what I've actually done, all my techs now are, have all been apprentices and I've taken them on at 16, 17 and trained them up from the word go. So there's no, they don't come with any bad habits. They don't come with any, anything. Oh, I've done this before. I'll do it this way. There's none of that. They, they come fresh and I take them on as they go through the apprenticeship scheme with the government. We get a small grant, which helps, helps that time that you have to put into them. It's not a lot, but every little bit helps. And I found that's been the best way. And then you just give them the opportunity. So, look, you, you know, if you want to work here, you could be doing this, you could be doing that in three, four years down the line. And, and you, you sort of offer that. And that, for me, has worked really well because, you know, young guys are hungrier, I find. You know, they're, they're keener, they're hungrier. And, but now, nowadays, I'm, it's tricky to find young guys who, are, who want to fix cars. Um, yeah there's less out there than there used to be i think i could be wrong but it just feels that way fixing cars is it's almost a not a dying trade it's the wrong thing to say but everything's so electronic now everything's so digital so building a buso engine is is almost prehistoric you know <laughs> it's it's a bit of a strong way of putting it but it's starting to feel that way you know that it's the technology is old in that in those cars and that's the way I like it because that's the stuff I like I find it I know it I find it easy to to fix and diagnose not easy that's the wrong word but familiar it's familiar yeah. and uh so that that for that for me is 
is again something I enjoy and so yeah finding young guys I've got a young guy with me now who's coming through college and he's you know he started off it was a bit touch and touch and go but he's you know he's coming through now and it's really good to see that and see his yeah. keenness and his interest in cars and you know and a lot of young people aren't as interested in cars anymore you know I grew up around them cars were you know I was born in 82 so you know, the mid-90s, all the cars were cool, weren't they? You know, everything, the late 80s and 90s for me was, you know, there were some great cars around then. And uh, nowadays, they, they don't quite feel the same the way cars are made now. They're all too similar. Yeah. When I grew up, when I was about, you know, 17, 18, it was never my thing, but so many people had cars with body kits and all this stuff. And, you know, it was, it was the, you know, when I went to college, all the cars were kind of, people are really into them and they would, yeah, spend a weekend fiddling with them. And, you know, I was never into that kind of scene of, of modding your car to death and doing that kind of stuff. You just don't see that anymore. You know, people no. don't, don't do that anymore. And the young people just don't, yeah, just don't seem as interested in that. I think it's because it's of technology, isn't it? Technology's moving on, you know, things are changing. And yeah, they're interested in tech and, and lots of other things out there. And uh, I think that's, and, and cars are, they're more generic. They're not as interesting, you know, because I grew up around, the, you know, I remember watching or not watching because it was probably a little bit before my time. But I remember all the Group B rally cars and all that stuff was just bonkers, you know, and I, you know, I used to love those things. And, uh, you know, the Delta S4s and the 037, Stratos, all those legendary things. And even, the, you know, even the Peugeot T16s and all those sorts of crazy cars. You just don't get stuff like that anymore. Again, I'm sort of going on a bit. But yeah, old cars for me is is a real passionate, a really passionate thing, and uh, something that modern cars don't offer. I only ever saw a T sixteen in the flesh once, a road going one. Um, mm. I used to work work in an office overlooking a petrol forecourt, which was a, mm. a nice view. Um, and a T sixteen came and then he lifted up the entire back end of the bodywork yeah. to fill up the, the tank and then drove off again. But yeah, you yeah. don't see a lot of them. No, no, a mate of mine sent me a picture of one in London a little while ago, parked up on the side of the road, and it was like, wow, you know, you just don't see that stuff. We talked about the business. I, it's, this is always an odd question for people who are in the, the business, because uh, I think the I think the highest answer I've had so far is 83, but what alphas have you owned personally? Oh, I've lost count. Loads. <laughs> um, loads. I I really, I always, I like 156 GTAs, don't know why. I always drive them, have them for years now. I've had loads and loads of those. And they seem to drive better than all the other 3.2 engined Alphas. I can't put my finger on it. A lot of people agree. 147 is nice, but it, it just feels a little bit twitchy. The 156 is a nice car. I, I don't know how many Alphas I've had. I've just personally, oh, loads. I can't even can't even count them. But yeah, the one, 156 GTA for me, I still daily one now. And for me, as a daily car, it's just it ticks all my boxes it's rare it's got a nice engine it's a bit different i can put the kids in it it's not horrendously valuable so you're not gonna you know you put the kids in it you don't worry too much about ruining it and the nice thing is it's, it's depreciation free you've got to maintain it but it's not going to lose money so you know it, it, for me I, I was thinking of replacing it and getting something else and I, I couldn't think of anything and are they getting harder to maintain i know there was a part there was a time when 3.2 or so parts or gta Busso parts were getting quite difficult to find, but I'm hearing things about them being remanufactured and it getting easier, if anything. Yeah, some stuff is. I mean, Stellantis, Stellantis isn't it? Of yeah, have started remanufacturing bumpers and 
147 parts. So I guess they're going to probably do the same with the 156 now because the market's out there. So many people ask for bits. Um, there's still a lot of trim parts you can't get. One we always struggle is the outer trims on the 156s that sit on the outside of the windows. They always rust up on the end and, and bubble and lose their shape. And you can't you can't get those. But you get a lot of engine stuff. You can't get cranks anymore, but poor old GT3.2s get cannibalized for, <laughs> for all their bits. And they're starting to pick up in values a bit now. Because I remember GTAs went through through a phase of not being worth a lot of money. And I remember buying them for three grand quite a lot of the time. And I was, I was, you know, business sense. Some cars I broke up back then for parts. And, uh, you know, I feel guilty about that now because some of them are actually okay cars. But, you know, economically at the time, it didn't, there was no money in repairing it or fixing it and selling it. So you have to keep your business head on. And uh, so they went through, you know, you could pick up GTAs for three, four grand all the time. And that's when they fell into the hands of the wrong owners and the wrong guys drove them and didn't maintain them. And then they got, you know, they got really rough. And now they've come out the other side of that. I think a lot of those cars have either been broken up or whatever, you know, scrapped. So a lot of cars, a lot of GTAs I see now on the whole are generally very nice. You know, we, I, I don't get, well, we call it a dog. We all call it a dog, don't we, in, in the world of cars. And yeah. I don't get a lot of dog, dogs in anymore and back in the early days you get some really rough cars in and uh they seem to have either all been restored or, or you know gone to the right people but as the values have increased people have you know they want to spend more money on them because they're like well it's worth 10 grand so i'll spend three on it but if it was worth three grand they'd be like well, i don't really want to spend three grand on it and it it's all about economics isn't it every interesting or performance well every yeah every interesting or performance car any brand kind of goes through that it's bottom of its depreciation curve and unless it's something really special of course that doesn't happen but you know they all go through that and my brother is he's a poor specialist so you know cars are in our family and you know it's the same with those sorts of cars you know you know i won't go on about other brands too much because it's not really the point of the chat but you know old 944s they were rock bottom and he used to buy them just for the engine the 944 s2 for that engine you know throw the rest of the car away and you know that you know that just doesn't happen anymore you know people are and you know, yeah, it's people will pay good money for rough cars now, and uh, you know, it's that it's just that old car thing, isn't it? They go through yeah. that. You could draw it on a graph, couldn't you? And it's they go down, and then they go back up again. So we talked about we talked about the potential for a paint shop. We talked about having about the right amount of staff. Any any other plans to develop the business? Anything you'd like to do next? No, uh, well, I, I'd love to buy my own unit, but it's the funds aren't there for that because. This, the estate I'm on is, it seems to be, again, about appreciation. Everything's going up quicker than I can can save, if you see what I mean. So the, the cost of the property there is, is going up faster than I can kind of save money. So I'm always always priced out of the market. So I would like my own unit one day, but no, no I'm not, I don't have any real plans. I'm quite happy with the size. I'm quite happy with the way it's, it's, it's running. Quality's always been the most important thing for me I, I, I try and treat the cars as my own so I don't want to lose that so I, I any bigger and I think I'd lose that touch and you're we, we talked about Bussos a lot you're, you're kind of known as a Busso specialist Is, are there any other areas of specialization that you have today or any anything else that you you're thinking about adding we do a lot of 105s now that kind of sort of naturally happened because I went over to Sweden seven years ago and bought a load of 105 stuff off a guy who was who was, who was giving up his business. So I flew over to Sweden and bought four four cars, four shells. I bought a 101 Spider, Julia Spider, 
that was a nice car that one a 1750 gtv mark one and then two 1750 spiders and a lorry load of parts and then i went over there looked at all this stuff and and bought it on a bit of a whim really so we ended up with all these these cars and this these, these parts and then we just started mucking around with them and that kind of drew one some 105 customers to us and we do a lot quite a few engine builds on those now and a lot of a lot of guys are getting them out i get a lot of guys locally are getting out of the garage and they've been there for 10 years and oh, i've been in my mum's garage for 10 years can you get it back on the road so yeah we're doing quite a lot of 105 stuff um obviously standard 147s and 156s of are depleting or have been depleting we see a lot less of those these days even the gts now the diesel GTs, obviously, they're getting old and they're, they're valued and they're, they're getting tired. So people don't spend the money on them. So or as much, some do, but, you know, we just don't see so many. So now I'm quite happy focusing on, on the Busos because it's a great engine. It's legendary, isn't it? And, uh, and the 105s, I'm trying to think where else I'd want to go. We're doing a, I do enjoy doing the Stratos replicas. We've done a couple of those and built a few engines for those as well. And we're doing one at the minute, which is a hill climb car, which we're building for a guy. Um, so that's that's interesting, and I enjoy it. But it's are they Busso based as well? Yeah, that no, Busso engine. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're the, the list of Bell ones are really nice. Actually, they're a nice car, really nice kit. But there's the waiting list is massive to get one. Well, you can buy the, the chassis, but then you've got to wait ages for the panels. So. I wouldn't mind building some, you know, those one day, maybe, because I don't, I'm not going to, when it gets electric, I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to stay, stay prehistoric, as I call it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not going with the electric digital stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with the, stick with the Busos, maybe, you know, the Stratos thing I just mentioned. There will always be 105s around, you know. I know petrol cars are going to fade away, but people are always going to keep 105 Alphas on the road because yeah. they're just lovely things, aren't they? I think it's still the, still about uh, about half the owners' club members are 105 owners. Yes, yeah, yeah, I well believe it. And you know, guys are going to keep the GTAs going as well now because they've they've turned the corner with values. They will just keep creeping up slowly, especially the nice ones and the GT 3.2s. Again, back to that car. You know they they are turning a corner now as well. So you know I'll be building them for for years to come. I think so. I'll, I'll stick to what I know. Racing, you know, racing something I've always wanted to uh, to do. But when the kids are older and I have time, yes, I probably would maybe get involved with that. We've built, you know, we've we've done one or two sort of race projects for guys, but not, you know, we don't focus on it. You know, not yeah. like other, other specialists out there. So now I'm going to, I'll probably stick to where we are for now. You know, we do do some Maseratis, quite a few now. They've kind of naturally come to us over, over the last few years. So I look after quite a few for customers and a couple of Ferraris. So I may branch into that, but I, I don't want to spread myself too thin. Okay. I think the only other question that I would normally ask is we talked about the cars you own. There are two, two questions. You talked about 156 GTAs in general as being a favourite. Any particular... Mm cars that you've owned that you either really loved or regretted selling or um no because i've kept loads of them all the ones <laughs> i love i've kept um, <laughs> so my first proper car shall i call it it's going to be a square word here and i'm going to own up to it the first proper car i bought was 21 and i had five grand to buy a car and uh i was having an eye on what to get and my my it was i worked for ned no 22 sorry i was 22 i worked for ned 
and he turned around and said, why don't you just buy an E30 M3? And I know it's BMW, and this is a swear word, but <laughs> I went and I bought that. And so I went and bought one from a bloke in Birmingham, did all the wrong things, bought the first one I looked at, all that kind of stuff, you know, what you shouldn't do when you're looking at a car. But that car taught me to drive properly because it's such a simple car, no driver aids, front engine, rear wheel drive, you know, and it survived. I've still got it now. It is in storage. I haven't used it in years. It needs recommissioning. So, you know, that that car for me kind of taught me, yeah, taught me how to drive. So I kept that and it was kind of just my first proper car. So I've still got that. I've got a few years ago, well, that was probably about seven, eight years ago. I've always watched car markets. It's been a hobby of mine. So I remember F40s being a hundred grand. I remember Dino's being 40 grand, 512 BBs. I remember them being 40 grand. You know, all the, and Dean, um, yeah, Dino's are like 350 now or 300-ish, aren't they? They're, they're all mad money and way out of my, my league. And uh, I remember looking through Exchange and Mart and Auto Trader when it was, you know, when it came as paper and used to flick through the yep. pages, go always straight to the performance section, forget everything else. And I just remember looking at the cars in there thinking, I, was, I can't remember how old I was. I couldn't even drive, so young. And um, just looking at the cars in there thinking, these look, these look so cheap. And then I always watch 355s because I've loved the 355, like a lot of people. Um, it's that last classic Ferrari, isn't it? <clears throat> so I bought one of them on eBay, as you do. Cheap, it was cheap, and uh, it was on eBay. It's left-hand drive, early car, so two point seven. So I went over to and went over and looked at this this car, this guy's house, and he had a load of other Ferraris there. And then it, it, it turned out he's the uh, director of Wolf Race Wheels, or used to be. He didn't own it anymore. And uh, this car was there, and it was, it was, it was really cheap for what it was back then. So I bought it. My heart sunk after I bought it because I couldn't really afford it, but I couldn't say no. So yeah. I bought it. I remember my wife not being very happy about the whole situation. So <laughs> anyway, I put I put the car, I left the car in my unit. I stored it for years because I wanted to sort everything out on it. And I didn't want to drive it until I'd sorted everything out on it. I got it checked out by um, Ferrari place before. And I um, and that car, I, I think it took me four years to, to save up and buy the bits bit by bit. You know, I'd be on eBay all the time just buying stuff that was, you know, either on bidding or, or good value, whatever I could sort of get my hands on. So I bought all this stuff and then finally did the build on the car. And, you know, when you, you spend so long thinking what a car's going to be like and if it's actually going to be any good. Yeah. I remember getting it on the road for the first time and it was covered in dust because it had been in the workshop for so long and it looked a right old mess. And me and my tech went out and it had just done it all and... We thought it was going to be okay, but of its time, you know, mid nineties, thought it might be a bit, bit rattly, bit squeaky, bit kind of just old and not very good. But oh, what a machine! It, it exceeded every expectation that I had of it, um, and I dailyed it for a year and a half, almost for about eight thousand miles on it in that time, and it's it's just stored again now because I just need to a bit of work to it. I haven't got any time, but uh, but yeah, it was such a good car, even as a daily vehicle. I thought it'd be rubbish. I used it all through winter, snow, ice, everything. And uh, it was brilliant. The headlights are great. The heater was made. Heaters were amazing. Uh, Aircon worked really well. You know, all these things that everyone says a Ferrari isn't. Uh, yeah. Says a, yeah, it was all just rubbish, you know. And if you look at the, in, if you read about a Ferrari 355 on the internet, 
about buying one. You just wouldn't buy one because it's just horror story after horror story. But it's all it's all stuff like a lot of things. It's all drummed up by people who haven't actually owned these cars and it's all regurgitated information. And you find a lot of cars are like that. And uh, but that that car for me, the, the 355 is it ticks so many boxes and it's, it's comfortable, long drives, it, so many things it's good at. And then it's the noise and what it is. And people let you out at junctions. You know, you'd stop at, I'll stop at Greg's in the morning to get a coffee and there'd be a dad with his kids and he'd go, go on, son, give it start the road, you know, all the kids watching, you know, so that that kind of, and you don't really get that anymore with cars. If you're in a new Ferrari or, or even a new Alpha, you know, it's not, it doesn't get that same reception, you know, that same reception like you do with an old Ferrari like that because, again, cars aren't like that anymore. So that for me is, I know it's not an Alpha, but it is one of my favourite cars. That uh, 355, 156 GTA are probably some of my sort of two, two favourite cars that I have kept and will. I'll keep those two forever. Any, any particularly interesting customer cars that have come in over the, and not necessarily name the customer, but any, anything that's come in, you thought, wow, that's nice. I do get swayed by the quadrifolios. They do come in and I do think, well, they are nice. You know, but it's just too modern for me. Too many bings and bongs is my saying. <laughs> um, you know, bing, bing for this, bong for that. I do like them. I, I tell you an alpha that's really grown on me and really, really reminds me of the E30 M3 and the way it drives because it's got the same balance, same power. You might guess what I'm going to say, which one it is. But it's it's got 50-50 weight balance. It's about 220 horsepower like an E30 M3. And now that's the SZ. They're a really nice car. But I never liked the looks for years. I couldn't get around the looks. You know, I was sort of just weird, like lots of people. But now I think they're really cool. So, yeah, we've had a few of them. in. we restored an RZ for a guy. Um, we restored, a, that was a really nice car. We, we went to town on that for him. And he was, uh, yeah, chuffed a bit. It took a long time because the paint was really hard to get right on those because they suffer from micro blistering. But no, the, the SZ, I prefer the SZ because I, I, I like to have a roof. I'm not into convertibles particularly. Um, so yeah, the SZ is a is a great alpha actually. Yeah, really, really proper car, and uh, the looks are yeah, the looks do surprise everybody still to this day. Yeah, I think it probably actually looks more modern now than it did when it came out. Yes, in an it does. odd way. Yes, it does. The front does. For me, this, when you look at the profile, is really good, and the square front on looks looks amazing. But it does look more modern. It's those three little square headlights which have have aged really well yeah okay i think i've said i was gonna ask i had one last question about three times so far this really is the last question that's all right um, <laughs> we talked about the cars you own any anything you would like to own any dream alphas on your on your list still oh uh, stradali um 33 33 is i'd love one of them <laughs> wow you know i need to win a euro millions and yeah. then i still <laughs> i still might not have enough um <laughs> That car is, oh, it's amazing, isn't it? The, that, that thing, because it's so small. It's like the same size as a Lotus Elise. Yep. You know, I've never seen one in the flesh, never been fortunate enough to see one, but read a lot about them. And even its numbers, its figures today, performance and everything is still, it's still quick. And it's a, such a pretty car. Yeah, that for me would be my ultimate alpha, but unfortunately it's pretty much unachievable. I'd love an HC. Might be a bit because it's based on the Maserati 4200, isn't it? So it might be a bit, bit heavy, 
and wafty for me. I prefer things to be a bit more focused. But uh, yeah, I'd love an 8C. That's slightly, well, yeah, they're not really achievable anymore. They were, but they're, uh, they're quickly running away, aren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah they 4C, I do like the 4C, but the, um, I think looks-wise, again, I would have a 4C, but the engine, there's nothing wrong with the engine. It's just not terribly exciting, the 4C engine, but the looks, yeah, 4C in a carbon tub. But you need to finish it off and do the handling yes. uh, to get everything right on those. And that, that puts me off a little bit because it's a lot of money for a car that needs finishing off. Thank you, Lawrence. That's all we've got time for this week. We will be back as usual in two weeks' time on Sunday, August the 1st at 1.30pm. And you'll be able to download us as usual from the club website, from iTunes, from Google Podcasts, Podbean and everywhere else that good podcasts are found. Episode 37 will be slightly different to the podcast we've done so far in that it will be the first one not recorded in my home office. I sat down with Bianco Motorsports' Paul Plant and Arock Virtual Racing League's champion Colin Cuniff to find out how he got on in his first real race in the 750 Motor Club Alfa Romeo Championship. To what extent his skills and experiences from sim racing transferred to real cars and a real track and what the major differences were. But until then, stay safe. <laughs> <laughs>